to another episode of Downton Gabby. This will be discussing episode two of the final season of Downton Abbey as we wrap up some storylines with some side characters, continue some drama with the romance of the season with Mrs. Hughes and Mr. Carson, and continue wondering if any of our conspiracy theories will come true by the end of this. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So before we get into the Downton thing, as we're recording this, last night was the Golden Globes, and I feel like we should mention some of the cool women who were winning and being funny and making up for some drab other parts, uh, because there was a lot of action from... uh, from some of the ladies that we called out during our off-season. Yeah, definitely. It felt like a roundup of all of our favorite ladies from television, especially watching the actress nominations go by. Well, it shows we have good taste. We have the same taste as the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I don't know if that's the same as having good taste. (laughs) Those are the same people that pick The Revenant as Best Picture. Yeah, and I think we're more in line with the rest of America who hasn't seen Mozart in the jungle, so... (laughs) Yeah, that too. But yeah, it was so exciting that Rachel Bloom won for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I mean, that was probably the best speech of the night. Just so bubbly, so excited. And it's crazy that that show almost didn't get made because it is so good. It yeah. is so good. Yeah, I was I was on my couch screaming and jumping around. And I was really, really happy for her. And uh, we even tweeted out to um, our favorite best friend, Paula, uh, Donalyn Champlin. I just could imagine her just fist pumping intensely in the back of the audience, you know, as her character Paula. And so I was just imagining that and tweeted that. And then you connected the tweet to her. I did. And then she responded to us and we had a little conversation. And then we were telling her what fangirls we were. And she wanted to hear the podcast where we talked about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which we sent her. And now I think she's our BFF forever. Kind of made my day. Pretty awesome. Then one of my other favorites won as well, uh, Maura Tierney on The Affair. Hopefully I will convince someone at some point in my lifetime to watch this show. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I do absolutely adore her. Like I think I've even mentioned uh, her character on ER, Dr. Abby Lockhart, before. It's just like an all-time favorite. So it was really nice to see her. She looked so classy, too, and she had her cool glasses on. I was like... I'm loving this. Well, it's really funny because I'm pretty sure the scene they probably sent in to nominate her is of her having a meltdown after eating a pot gummy. <laughs> so it was like pretty awesome to see her so done up, all classy when I was like, mm, I think I know what scene they probably watched of you. So Shannon, your your favorite cookie also won, Taraji P. Hansen. Oh my God. And man, she was working it on that red carpet, just giving face, face, face. I mean, she just is cookie. Holding out her cape. Like, if I could have one-tenth of that woman's confidence, right? When she yelled at that guy to get off her cape was like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> this is my moment. Get off my dress. And she's right, you know, she has waited 20 years for this, and I love her attitude of like, oh, you you guys are just noticing me, I've been here, where were you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, she wants to be treated like the professional industry veteran that she is, and not like some new kid on the block who's just blowing people out of the water with a breakthrough performance. I mean, it's, it's our fault that it's a breakthrough, it's not her fault. 
Exactly. Yeah, I, I was just so happy to see her win. I just want to put in uh, a little shout out to Lady Gaga's dress, which I thought was awesome, mostly because it looks just like the dress Rosemary Clooney wears in White Christmas <laughs> when she sings when she sings the You Done Me Wrong song at the Carousel Club. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's my favorite dress of all time in any movie ever. And I think Lady Gaga was channeling it. I thought she was channeling Madame X from the Singer painting. I think they're they're both sort of in some sort of lineage with mm. that painting, actually. Gotcha. I've never seen that yeah. movie, so I don't know. But I loved I loved her dress. She looked glam. One last thing before we transition to Downton. You know, we haven't mentioned he who needs not to be mentioned, the host. But I just want to put in a plug for uh, America Ferrera and Eva Longoria to do it next year and be <sighs> like the new... You know, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, I just think two funny, classy ladies together should be the new template for every award show because their, like, 30-second bit was better than anything else that happened all night. Definitely. The tone was really dour. Like, a lot of people ask me, how were the Golden Globes? I didn't watch them. And I just was, like, weird and kind of negative. You know, a lot of the jokes were really offensive. But it wasn't even so much that. It just seemed like... And no one was happy to be there. And I just feel like Tina and Amy just made it so fun and made it feel safe. And it just seemed like everyone was kind of on edge. Ricky Gervais is so sour. Yeah. Yeah. And he pals around with Mel Gibson. What was that all about? I thought the reason we didn't have Mel Gibson in Fury Road is because he is no longer relevant. So. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Well, Sylvester Stallone won a Golden Globe. So, you know. Wonders never cease. Anyways, it was really nice to switch over to Downton, and it was just very lovely and light, you know, filled with pigs and joy, so it was a nice switch. This is the first year that I have been thrilled to have something to switch over to. I was so happy that I had to switch over to Downton to do the live tweet in the middle of the Golden Globes. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you. I was just grateful. Well, what did you guys think of this episode? Felt a little fillery, you know? They're trying to wrap up some stuff. They're trying to move towards this next wedding, or Charlie and Elsie wedding. But the drama to get there feels a little forced, right? Like, picking a venue is not a multi-episode long drama. Especially when there's not a lot of choices. It basically sounds like the school or, you know, getting married at your work. Right. And you know what was really bothering me? That people on Twitter were calling Elsie a bridezilla? No. No. <laughs> no. 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 I, what, where is that even coming from? Nobody wants Mary to plan their wedding, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. A. And then B, if your fiancé comes to you and is like, honey, let's just go get married at your work. What the fuck? No. I don't even <laughs> want to be there. When I have to, like, I don't want to go get married next to the copy machine. You know, it's like getting married in the servants hall. Terrible. This is, this episode was the culmination of five seasons of Mrs. Hughes giving Mary the side eye, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because she's always been pretty open about the fact that not only is she not impressed by Lady Mary, she's not really a fan. And this is, it all added up to this thing where now Mary's basically dictating their wedding. And poor Cora, who has, is the only one who seems to have any sense about this, mm-hmm. is, as usual, not being listened to. Yeah. Yeah, like, they're all like, why would we ask the bride about her opinion? 
I don't think, see why that's relevant. Exactly. Whatever. I, you know, I used to really like Carson and Mary's connection, but this is just an obnoxious culmination of that. Because, and it really kind of broke my heart a little bit when uh, Mrs. Hughes confronted him about it and her line was, I know it's going to be your way for the next 20 years or whatever. And I was just like, oh, that's such a sad way to think about going into your twilight years, right? And it's all connected. Although I don't believe it's going to be his way because I know Mrs. Hughes. Yeah, I just, you know, I've never been a huge fan of this romantic relationship. Because I just feel like they really don't see eye to eye in a lot of fundamental stuff. She is way more progressive than him. And it keeps coming up in these examples. And mm-hmm. I want to get on board, but I just feel like they're really, really different. Oh, your your heart is made of stone, Shannon. I would love her to be with Dr. Clarkson. Ew! <laughs> Who wants to be with Dr. Clarkson? This is coming out of nowhere. Yeah, where is this coming from? Should we bring Miss Bunting back, maybe? No, but I think if we're going to talk about another older gentleman that's available that's not totally out of her league, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's in a different class. I'm not sure, because he's a doctor. But, you know, he's an intelligent man who's quite progressive. And Carson is a big old stick in the mud. And, you know, (laughs) my God, saying getting married at work, that's a deal breaker for me. Well, I suggested they might want to take a Viking cruise lines trip. Yeah. I can't believe they I mean, haven't made that come together yet. I know. And you know, nobody's paying me to say that on the podcast. Viking cruise lines. <laughs> they exist. I, I have actually talked to my husband about Viking cruise lines. Awesome. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, you know, I think it's good that someone besides Edith wants to stand up to Lady Mary. You know, I mean, she's just a bully. Pushing everyone around just because now she's the new estate manager. Well, we get it. You said it 15 times. Get a button that says it or something. Get a button. Just get a button. You know, so I'm happy that someone's like, no, she can't run our the entire world. Okay, well, before we uh, before we get into Mary's uh, estate managing prowess, should we should we have a discussion about Mary and Anna's conversation about Anna's incompetent cervix? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, at least, because I was wondering this last week, right? I was like, are we talking miscarriages or are we talking just can't get pregnant? Sounds like we're talking miscarriages. So I guess I, you know, I accused Bates of shooting blanks and that might not be the issue. But this is just a little odd. Like, I do like the way that the show will address sort of the sexuality issues of the day, but... It's turning into cervix chat. <laughs> it's just a little strange. Like it's like coffee talk, but it's like cervix chat. <laughs> and another time we have a Harley Street OBGYN that may or may not be dispensing good advice. I don't trust them anymore, frankly. Like what are the odds that Anna and Mary are both going to have like the same-ish problem that the same doctor can fix or whatever? Do they have the same problem? I don't know. I mean... Like, she said that she had a little operation, but I didn't assume that it was the same problem as Anna's incompetent cervix. Well, I guess not, because Anna's thing has to be fixed, like, during pregnancy and Mary's before. So I guess the main thing that's weird is that we're talking about this so much, but without any real specifics. So we don't know. Like, he's just going to put a stitch in it or whatever. That's right. We're so confused, and we own this hardware. I mean, the men watching the show just must be completely lost. 
But they probably understand the hospital conversation. So maybe that's how we're evening out the genders here. <laughs> I just want to know, what is an incompetent cervix? And can a cervix be fired for being incompetent? Mm. <laughs> can you get a new cervix that has better references? Yes, they advertise it in the back of the lady. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love that they have these talks. And I mean, I feel like they're actually really friends. Well, they're they're sort of friends. I feel like it was a little sexy when she was undressing her this episode. So. <laughs> oh my god, get your head out of the lingerie! No, I'm with Brandy on this one. Every single Anna and Mary interaction now to me is loaded with sex. Ever since she was gently stroking her hair, I can't see anything but but basically slash fic happening right there. I know. Well, we just went and saw Carol too, so it's all okay. All in the brain. It's all it's, it's, unspoken it's, thirst. <laughs> but I did like the way Mary kind of took charge of the conversation because Anna is still doing her Anna thing and sort oh, of like yeah. crying and like it won't do any good, but fine and things like that. And Mary's just like, "Shut up! I'm paying for your doctor. Mm-hmm. Stop being so negative." Yeah, maybe she's like, I just want to stop having this conversation all the time, so (laughs) I'll pay whatever it takes for you to stop crying while doing my hair. Exactly. I think that is actually what's really driving this whole whole thing. And by the way, I have to tell you, I did not catch this joke at all, but when Anna says to Bates that she thinks she'll have the opportunity to put her feet up in London, I think she's making a gynecologist stirrups joke. I don't know. It's a racy joke for Anna. Well, did they do Paps then? I thought Paps came much later. I don't know. Our Twitter friend Hillary pointed it out, and I thought about it. I thought, this is amazing. But, yeah, maybe it is too racy, and I don't know. I think from I th- watching Masters of Sex, I don't think they started doing Paps until much, much, much later. But they had stirrups. Yeah, but when would you have, when would you have been in them unless you gave birth, if you weren't having any type of preventative exams? Oh, you think she's never been to a gynecologist? Yeah, because if you don't get a pap, why would you go to, and you haven't given birth? I don't think there's any... I just just Googled speculum, and, you know, they have a picture of 14th, 15th, and 16th century speculums. So, I (laughs) mean, something was going on in there. Oh, that must have been fun. (laughs) They look like torture devices, unsurprisingly. They still look like torture devices. I mean, they are torture devices. (laughs) Let's get serious. Yeah. No one's like, oh, goody. This will feel great. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really trying to give Julian credit for a, kind of a sly joke, but you're right. Maybe it was just Hillary's imagination. In a good imagination, it is. Yes. Thank you, Hillary. Anyway. Yeah, I think it's a great joke. I, and I doubt Anna's talking to anyone else about her cervix. True. Or maybe she's annoyingly talking to everyone about it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> she's just whimpering in the corner. That's it. It's like. That's all she's doing. And 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 telling Mr. Bates that she's horrible and a failure. And Mr. Bates just keeps saying, it's fine. I don't care that much. Yeah, it's really weird how he just keeps saying it's fine. And she keeps like, she's basically like self-flagellating herself or like something. I think she has PTSD from that boot room. Okay, what was the whole boot room thing? It's just a it's just a recurring joke with the on the West Coast feed about all the conversations oh, the that take feed. place in the boot room. When when the scene came on, it was like me and like three other people all instantaneously tweeted like, "Not the boot room again." 
Nothing good happens in the boot room. <laughs> That's true. Nothing good does happen in the boot room. Don't go in there. It's like a horror film in there. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Cervix Chat. Thanks for joining <laughs> yeah. us. Next week, we will be talking about the fallopian tubes. Well, we haven't talked about the pig cervix, and I want to know how they won. <laughs> what? Oh, so uh, I'm contractually required to say Mary's going whole hog into that estate manager thing, isn't she? But I love it. Okay, here's the thing: all of these competitions are rigged for the for the down people to win. Because let's go back to the flower show. Yeah, you know, with Violet bullying her way into winning once again, and I just think. I'm, the villagers must just hate it. It's like, oh, great, now they put a pig in, so now they're going to win. That's right. Uh, the, somebody from the village used to win until yeah. until the Crawleys got into the pig game. Yes. yes. And we did have a great question from our West Coast pal, Brunsonian, who asked, uh, what does it take to get pigs ready for a show? Like, hose them down and make sure they have enough time to dry? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know what you do to buff your pig for the show or whatever. They were cute pigs, though. They were cute, but what does Mary do exactly? I mean, I did mention that last week she was reading the uh, farmer's stock breeder over breakfast. So I understand she's taking this seriously, but um, I, I'm not entirely sure what her role is. Well, she's probably picking breeds that they want to breed, you know. Um, like now, like Mongolitsa pigs are like very gourmet pigs and you go to like a really fancy restaurant and that's the kind of pork that you see. So maybe she's like researching breeds that are going to get a higher price on the market or something. It has never occurred to me that there are different kinds of pigs. You know, that's why you'll never be on the cover of the farmer stock breeder magazine. (laughs) Just throw that dream away, Brandy. But, but you could be on the cover of cervix chat. So just (laughs) hang in there. I, I was sort of impressed by her, though, in the middle of the village, and everyone is all, oh, look at Mary. She looks like a proper farmer now. And I was really thinking, like, if Charles Blake could see her now. Oh, I like how Charles impressed Blake. He would be. He's in Poland. Where's Mr. Yum Yum? <sighs> I know, there are no boys around. It's just no boys. Although in the preview, it does look like Edith's going to go out on a date with that oh, agent. Finally. So she's going to be in London, which is where she should be anyway. Like, I don't even understand why she lives at Downton anymore. I don't know what the big uh, dilemma is here. She's got this awesome pad, and she doesn't have to put up with her stupid sister. <laughs> stupid in, okay. sister. In Mary's defense, she doesn't know that Marigold is her real daughter. Okay, <laughs> so. in the defense of logic... She should know that Marigold is her daughter because everyone else knows. But Mary doesn't care. That's the thing. Like, Mary doesn't think about Edith for more than maybe five seconds a day. Yeah. So her total disinterest in Edith has basically saved Edith from dealing with Mary knowing. Right. But I feel like if you go to London, these problems are solved. Well, I feel like if Mary knew these problems are solved, like... There's nothing, everything that has gone down to basically ruin the Drews' lives is, has been completely preventable. Absolutely. And I just, look, I'm on to Edith, but she needs to, someone needs to slap some sense into her because she just does this thing where she's like, I want this, but I won't do it. And it's like, girl, there are literally no barriers to you. You already have a place to live that's furnished. 
Like you have a job, you have family up there. There's no barriers. Just do it or shut the fuck up. Like I can't hear this constant pining for something that is already furnished and ready to go. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing too, I was thinking how like this whole thing with her not speaking up about Marigold and not being able to tell Mary not to take Marigold to the Drew's farm and that setting in motion this total downfall of this family who has been apparently farming since Napoleon's time or <laughs> something like that. Um, and I was I was really thinking, like, couldn't Edith use one of those, like, I can't tell you why you shouldn't take Marigold to the Drew's farm, but you'd agree with me if I told you. Right. I know Cora falls for that shit all the time. So. All the time. Lord Grantham falls for that shit. They all fall for it. I don't know why Edith couldn't. Edith's got no game. I mean, we love her, but she's never had any kind of game of any kind, and you know it. Yeah, that's true. It just really broke my heart, you know, Mrs. Drews. I mean, we knew this was going to be a tragic ending, but the way that she was, like, cradling Marigold, and we haven't seen anybody hold Marigold like that, you know? And she just seemed so happy and content, curled up there. It was just so sad. It's like, why can't they both be her mom? You know, or she can be like an aunt in her life or something. It's just sad. I think there's a little bit of crazy coming off Mrs. Drew. A little. Well, yeah. She did did baby nap, you know. (laughs) She did. She's she's like the Yorkshire baby snatcher. But I also kind of agree that maybe it was for a good reason. Nobody was watching her, you know. I don't know. Maybe I'm on the baby napper side, but I kind of get it. (laughs) Well, it's just some expedient plot device to get Mr. Mason into that farm, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. That probably will be what happens. We gotta get Mr. Mason into the farmhouse. He's gotta die in the farmhouse. Daisy has to take (laughs) over. That's how it all goes down. Oh, and then Thomas gets laid off and Daisy hires him as a farmhand. (laughs) And everybody (laughs) gets to stay at Downton, even as all of the changes with no more servants keep coming. Mm, yeah, that that's exactly what I think is going to happen. Um, <laughs> but can we go back to the Druze for a second? Because I feel like what happens to the Druze, like the way they're really royally screwed by Lord Grantham, is the way that other servants have been screwed in the past, like Jane the Maid. She was literally screwed. She was, well, <laughs> not quite, but... Remember Jane and she makes that with Lord Grantham and then it's like, oh, I know it's too uncomfortable for me to be here. So even though I'm a widow with a young son, I'm going to give up this job. So I'm not around to make you uncomfortable, Lord Grantham. Man, Teresa, you really cannot get over this Jane thing. It's haunting you. very, hashtag never forget Jane the maid. It is the worst storyline they've ever done. (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible. And I'm watching the Drews thing where somehow Lord Grantham makes Mr. Drew think it's his idea to give up this farm. Mr. Drew is a saint. That, That man deserves a medal. And it's like, it must be so hard to find another farm and move. I just, I'm so angry at the Crawleys. It's like, come on. I know, and it's all because Mr. Drew is a nice guy and no de- good deed goes unpunished, basically. Yeah, and they did a good job raising Marigold, and so she felt safe with her and left with her. You know, I mean, it's all, you know, and then Edith's just doing her appalled face the whole time, and it's like, you know, this is a lot because of your decisions, you know? like Yeah. Jen Kugler on Twitter was saying that after the Drews move out and we think everything is settled, then the family that Marigold was with in France will show up. <laughs> 
She's just the best baby that ever existed. Everybody she, wants her. I was kind of evilly thinking that during the show. I was like, all this for this weird-looking kid that never even speaks? <laughs> <laughs> Who can't make eye contact or express any emotions? Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I do love this Daisy trying to team up with Cora, you know, to save Mr. Mason. She's like, she goes to Cora, do you have an idea? And Cora goes, no. No, I don't. And it was like... <laughs> Saw that one coming a million miles away. Oh, Daisy, all fired up, and you can't do anything with all that fire. I think something's going to work out. For Daisy? Yeah. Well, I think that Julian has a soft spot for Daisy. Yes. I think she'll be okay, because she's done a lot of really stupid things, things that other staff would get, you know, fired or convinced to quit, you know, over. Right. So I think she's going to be okay. I think he's got sort of a happy ending plan for her. I'm giving a pretty strong romantic vibe from Mosley to her. And Brandy thought I was kind of crazy, but I, I don't know. I don't, I think Mosley's, he's only had eyes for Baxter since she arrived. Oh yeah. But we haven't seen them together this season yet. Well, ever since Anna got married and she didn't want to be in the book group with him. Yeah, that was really, that was rough. That was sad. But no, I, I think it's, it's Baxter and Mosley for sure. I don't see him being interested in Daisy in that way. I think he's taking a fatherly interest in her. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a professorial interest in yeah, her. Yeah, mm. I think it just boosts his self-esteem to have someone actually be interested in his his academic background that he might have had. Right. Right, exactly. I think it's sweet, actually. I like that. All right, then I'll stop my smutty thoughts then. Yeah, just stop. <laughs> just stop. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. Well, I don't like that everyone's, I mean, it's, everyone's being so mean to Thomas. Like, I never thought I would be sympathetic to Thomas, but this is just out of control. It is, it is out of control. It was actually weird. It was, it was so weird. Like, especially Andy being so incredibly repelled by him. Yeah. And then he has to have that interview with the butler who was like, you're a rather delicate fellow, aren't you? Yeah. That was very Uh. upsetting. Insult upon insult. Well, and then Carson was being pretty cruel, too. And I was like, whoa, dude. Carson is the worst. I mean, I know that there is sort of a surplus of underbutlers in that house, (laughs) but still. And this is why he doesn't deserve Mrs. Hughes. She would never do that. I didn't realize that I was the only one that was actually, you know, all in for the Elsie and Charlie romance. Well, I mean, it seems like this wedding might turn into a another left at the altar situation if nobody <laughs> no, listens don't to say that. It's been a couple seasons. I kind of had this great image, though, of like, it's still set in Downton, but it's got a little 90s rom-com feeling to it of Mrs. Hughes, like, full wedding dress veil just running through the town, <laughs> hopping in a carriage with some, like, super hot new guy that's just come in town. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about there, but <laughs> it's um... my dream. <laughs> okay, so why do you think that Mrs. Hughes isn't interceding in the whole let's treat Barrow horribly storyline? I mean, she's dealing with other shit right now. I guess so. She's not one to intervene in front of other people. She's usually a behind-the-scenes intervener. That's true. She's, she's like a behind-the-scenes player. So we might see her do Pulling that next episode. Yeah. It would be nice. Either that or, or Barrow has to go to America or Berlin or something. He's got to go somewhere where he can have a little bit freer of a life. Yeah, I would watch the Berlin spinoff for sure. 
Yeah, wouldn't the Berlin spinoff be great? It would be some kind of like transparent Downton Abbey mashup. Ooh. I think he just would have to be able to like get out of there eventually. But um, I think he would have some really good years. We just don't want like a Michael Gregson sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, no. So I I, I dozed off through most of the hospital storyline, so I'm not really sure what happened. Yeah, but no one does. But one thing I really I really did like was when uh, Dickie was talking to Isabel about how people need good medical care and how rich people can just go to London to take care of it, but what do poor people do? I thought that him recognizing his privilege was very impressive, actually. Well, they're meant to be together. If she could just get her head out of her ass, you know, here's a super progressive, awesome dude. Yeah. And she's I mean, just cock blocking herself constantly. And it's like, that storyline drives me crazy because yeah, he is so progressive. He's really cool. I know. And she's kind of leaning into the like worst parts of her rivalry with Violet. And I'm just like, there's a lot of characters on this show that need to get laid and stop being so pissy all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and I like seeing them as friends more than enemies. I don't want to go back to enemies. I don't want to spend the final season of watching them fight. No, I really like them when they're friends. I think that the best scenes are them being friends with each other. I mean, I know everyone likes the quips and all of that, but... But they have that when they're friends, too. Yeah, and it's just as funny when it's like, you know, them rolling their eyes at each other, but while they're playing whist or whatever, instead of <laughs> just bickering about the friggin' hospital again. Yeah. The only good thing about this hospital storyline is it might finally give Cora something to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Which would be very nice because she really... I know. I mean, I know the Tan Man storyline didn't end well last season, but I'm just... I remember thinking, oh, you, we could have been enjoying Cora this whole time if she just had something to work with. Yeah. Well, yeah, they give her nothing to work with. And also, I thought she looked kind of dowdy on this episode. The new fashions aren't treating her as well as they are treating no. her daughters. Yeah. No. It's like she's starting to dress like an old person or something. Meanwhile, Rosamond always looks amazing. How many stunning coats does this woman owe? Oh, coats and hats and embroidered dresses with little tassels on them. And Yeah, it's like, again, oh. Edith, here you have an amazing example of what your life could be. Get to London. And someone who's a way more supportive parental figure than your quote-unquote real parents. Yes. Uh, Did you say parental figure? Yes. I mean, I'm sticking with this theory till the end. Even if it's never revealed, Uh. I'm going to be the person on Tumblr 10 years from now being like, (laughs) here's a catalog of all the moments that show clinically that Rosamond is definitely Edith's real mother. Everyone should just use the hashtag Mama Roz. I mean, the, the really sad thing is it's like the light from the distant stars. Like, that light was sent out a long time ago, just like Downton Abbey has already played itself out <laughs> to its <laughs> very end. No, until I know what happens, anything could happen. <laughs> so it's sort of like Schrodinger's British costume drama? Yes. <laughs> she may or may not be Edith's mother, and we just won't know until the show ends. Well, that means she's both. So there you go. Right. Okay. I win. Okay, you win. So looking forward to next week. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see a wedding or a runaway bride. We did also hear some mention of Rose and Atticus in a letter. 
and of Tom. So I'm wondering, like, is anybody going to show up for a very special down reunion? Right. Yeah. Rose's letter sounded like she was thinking of coming back. Oh, they need the effervescent light of Rose at that breakfast table desperately. Oh, my oh, God, yeah. they do. I really miss her. I really love that character. Yeah. Yeah, I miss her, too. Yeah, well, I think we're definitely going to see a date between Edith and the agent, so I'm really excited for that. Yeah. I, I've been waiting for that since the end of last season. Yeah. he He's so sweet. I know. She needs a sweet guy. He's sweet, and when she was dancing with him, she smiled, and she looked really good in her salsa dress. And and where is Mr. Yummy also? I don't know. It's just very upsetting that he hasn't showed up yet. Because Mary needs a date, too. She definitely does. All right, well, here's hoping for a slightly less sad ending to next week's episode, whatever it may be. And thank you for listening to another episode of Downton Gabby. You can find us, of course, on Tumblr at downgabby.tumblr.com, on Facebook by searching Downton Gabby, and please join us for the live tweeting, East Coast and West Coast, at Downton Gabby. We've been having some uh, really good jokes from the peanut gallery, and we appreciate every single one of them, so we want to hear from you. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>